Well, uh, welcome. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week we begin a new series called Mind Games. All right, so Mind Games. Uh, we enter our series, Mind Games. I want to start with a story. Uh, it was about four or five in the morning. Uh, the writer of our story just says it was before dawn, just a little bit before dawn. And there's these 12 young men in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, these 12 young men, probably teenagers, maybe a couple of them were in their early 20s, and they have been attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee all night. Now, normally on a good night with favorable wind, uh, the trip across the Sea of Galilee in a boat should take two hours. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was about six to seven miles across, depending on where you were. And so the trip should have taken two hours, but here they are. It's four or five in the morning, and they have been trying to cross the sea all night. And I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you thought something that was going to take a couple hours turns into six or seven, but you can only imagine their moods at this point. I'm sure there's a lot of grumbling, complaining, edginess. Uh, they're hangry. They're sweaty, they're smelly, they're tired, and they're all stuck on a boat together trying to move against the wind. The wind is coming right at them. The waves are splashing at them. We learn later there's kind of a storm on the water. And so here they are. It's four or five in the morning. They're tired, they're cranky. And then Matthew, the writer of our story, tells us that at some point, one of the disciples notices someone walking on the water towards them in the dark. And that person yells out, it's a ghost. And... Matthew tells us uh, the best translation would be that what follows that is a bunch of shrieking. Twelve teenage boys shrieking. I'm sure later when they told their story to friends and family, they were much more chill. But Matthew tells us what really happened. They are shrieking. And what's interesting is in Jewish culture, there was actually legends that if you drowned in the Sea of Galilee, that your your, your spirit did in fact stay hovering above the waters at night. So you can understand why when they see someone walking on the water, they immediately make the jump to that is a ghost. And they all freak out, but where are they going to go? They're stuck on a boat. And so after the shrieking, uh, the ghost speaks to them. And they recognize the voice of the ghost. It is, in fact, the voice of the rabbi they've been following, Jesus. And the ghost says to them, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid, which is really easy for the water-walking ghost to say at four or five in the morning. Better translation would be, take heart, I am which is a little hint to the divinity that, that Jesus is, in fact, God. Take heart, I am. And I believe Jesus had a really good sense of humor. There's a number of reasons that I think Jesus had a really good sense of humor. I think humor came from God. But this story is one of the better examples because I have to believe that Jesus knew very well that as he walked across the water at 4.30 in the morning to his disciples that he was going to freak them out. And I think he's chuckling as he listens to their shrieks. But he says, just calm down. I am. It's okay. It's me. And then Peter says something. And if you grew up in church, you know where this is headed and you just kind of accept it. But you have to think about how strange this is. Peter says something pretty bizarre. You would expect Peter to say, okay, if it's really you, what did we eat last Wednesday? Or if it's really you, what was that inside joke that we told a couple days ago? Like that, that would be the normal expectation if you're trying to make sure that someone is in fact the rabbi you think he is. That's not what Peter says at all. Peter says something pretty bold. He says, if it's you, I want to walk on water too. Which sounds pretty crazy. But you have to realize, Peter sees an opportunity here. See, when you followed a rabbi, there was this deal that was made. 
When you followed a rabbi, when a rabbi invited you to follow him, basically what happened was the rabbi said, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your job, your family. I want you to leave everything and follow me. And in exchange, I will teach you to do what I do. I will teach you to do what I do. And so Peter is, is making good on that promise. Peter is in the boat and he's like, well, if that's Jesus and he's walking on water, well, guess what? Then I should be able to do it too. So Peter, in this moment of boldness, says, well, if that's you, I want to walk on water too. And Jesus says one word in reply. He says, come. Now he's got to actually step out of the boat. And Matthew writes that Jesus steps out of the boat like it wasn't a big deal, right? And we just continue reading the story. But I have to imagine that this is a big moment for Peter. Like he is standing on the edge of the boat and his 11 friends are in the boat going, well, which one of us is going to jump in after him when he starts floundering in the water? Like Peter has grown up a fisherman. He understands the power of the waves and the water, but yet he steps to the edge of the boat and at some point he gets brave enough to just step out and he starts walking on water. And he takes another step and another step. And those of you that have grown up in church, you know where this story is going. You're like, but wait. And yes, if you continue to read the story, eventually he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the storm and the waves and he's like, what am I doing? And he starts sinking and Jesus pulls him out of the water and back into the boat and says, why did you doubt? And there's a lot that we can unpack there. But for our purposes today, here's where I want us to think about. I don't think we often think about this when we talk about this story. There are 12 guys in that boat. Only one of them had the courage to walk on water. All 12 of them were afraid. But one of them had the courage to step past his fear. And I have to believe that that was the defining moment in Peter's life. Yes, at the end of the day, he began to sink. I guess you can say he failed. But he also walked on water. I have to believe that that was one of the best moments of Peter's life. That as he thought back on his life and people asked him about his life, I mean, I don't know of anyone besides Jesus that could say they've walked on water. And as I think about my life, most of the best moments of my life have been moments where fear was there, where nerves were there. And I had to make the choice to push past the fear, push past the nerves and step out. Playing high school sports, nerves, fear, but I had to push past it. Proposing to my wife, Nerves, fear, I had to push past it. Going on a mission trip to a third world country where I didn't speak the language, nerves, fear, had to push past it. Having kids, nerves, fear, I had to push past it. Speaking on the weekend, always nerves, fear, decision to push past it. Most of the beautiful moments in my life, the moments that I loved the most, that nerves and fear were there. And I'm willing to bet that as you think about your life and some of the best moments of your life, you will notice that fear and nerves were there too. And so here's our starting point. Our mind game this week is fear. And here's the starting point for fear. I believe fear is often a signpost that we are doing something worthwhile that matters. It's so easy to try to avoid situations where fear is present. But often when we avoid situations where fear is present, we often miss out on opportunities to live life well. Fear is often the companion of a well-lived life. 
Think of anyone that you admire, and I guarantee that fear is a part of their story. So how do we live our lives well, embracing fear, but having the courage to step past our fear and living lives of purpose? That's what we're going to look at today. I have three thoughts for you today. So number one, the first thought for you today is make friends with fear. Recognize that when you feel afraid, often it is a signpost that you are doing something that matters to you. In 2015, Michelle Poehler was a young woman, and she was basically afraid of everything. Dogs, driving at night, petting zoos, porta-potties, eating oysters, camping, pretty much everything. But she realized that she had so much fear that it was holding her back from actually living life. So she decided to spend a hundred straight days facing one fear per day. And she decided to document the experience in the hopes of inspiring other people to conquer their fears. So she started off doing simple things like spending time at a dog park, going to a petting zoo, eating insects, getting her ears pierced. And then she started doing a little more intense things like holding a snake. There she is holding the snake. She sang in front of a crowd. She danced in the middle of New York by herself. And then she started to do even more intense things like skydiving, doing stand-up comedy, diving with sharks. And on her hundredth day, she overcame her fear of speaking in public and she spoke at a TEDx conference. What Michelle would tell you is that when she pushed past her fears, what she found on the other side of her fears was life as it was meant to be lived. And what she would also tell you is that as she began to conquer her fears, fear didn't go away. It wasn't like she woke up on day 100 to go to the TEDx conference and she didn't feel fear. She still felt fear. She still felt nerves. But she had the muscle to push past it and be courageous enough to do it afraid. Fear is not our enemy. In fact, fear is often a great indicator that signals that we're doing something that matters. Think about for a moment the stories in the Bible that would have never happened if the individual wasn't willing to push past their fear. If Noah had been afraid of what people thought, he would have never built the ark. Moses would have never led the Israelites out of Egypt. David would have certainly never killed Goliath. Queen Esther would have never saved the Jewish people. Daniel would have never faced the lion's den. Mary would have never said yes to being the mother of God. And the early church in Acts would have never gotten out of the first century if they weren't willing to push past their fear with courage. Being afraid, but pushing past our fear, it's part of the human experience. We, we, we hopefully learn it as little children. Like little children have to learn to overcome their fears. One of my favorite moments when I go to a pool in the summer is watching the, the little kids that you can tell it's like their first time at the pool for the summer. And they're at the very edge of the pool and mom or dad are in the water, right? And, and their mom and dad are like, come on, jump. And there's this, you can tell in their face, there's this mixture of fear and excitement. 
And they're like thinking about jumping and then they back off and they're like, okay, maybe this, oh, no, not this time. And there's, right, there's this fear and excitement. And then finally, hopefully, they jump. And usually what happens, or at least with my kids, what happened was you catch them and they're like, that's awesome. I'm doing it again. And they've overcome their fear. There's this beautiful moment where they overcame something they were afraid of. I think of another example of teaching your kid to ride a bike. I know most of us have had that experience, have had kids. I know with each one of our kids, you took the training wheels off, and as they're pedaling, they want you to hold the back of the bike, and they're very, and my kids were very nervous. They're like, all right, you holding the back of the bike? You got the back of the bike? You're not going to let go of the back of the bike. I'm like, just focus ahead. But then there's this beautiful moment, right, where, where you let go of the bike, and they pedal on their own, and they're like, oh, I got this. And they overcome their fear. See, overcoming fear is a part of the human experience. But here's what's interesting. It feels like the older we get, the more we avoid fear instead of stepping into it. We start to play it safe. We start to figure out how we can just avoid doing things that cause us to feel fear instead of continuing to be courageous and step through it. Sometimes fear is a good indicator and using wisdom means we don't enter into something. But But I have to wonder if there are times when fear shows up and instead of stepping away from it, there's an opportunity to be embraced, to live life to the full and to live like God created us if we will step past our fear, if we'll step into our fear with courage. I think often when we try to eliminate fear, we eliminate doing work that matters. So what would it look like to embrace fear, to make friends with fear. That when fear shows up in your life, to pause and go, oh, this is here because I'm doing something that's important. And it's not a bad thing. There's actually an opportunity here. So that's the first thought. Make friends with fear. Secondly, while we make friends with fear, we don't feed it. We don't feed it. Fear is a part of our lives, but we get to choose if we allow fear to grow inside of us to a point where it controls our actions and our thoughts. Reminds me of an old story of an Indian chief who was talking to his grandson, and his grandson was afraid of everything. And the Indian chief told his grandson, Grandson, inside all of us is this battle between two wolves. Inside all of us, there's two wolves that are constantly doing battle. And one, one is love and peace, joy, kindness, thankfulness. And the other... Is fear and anger, sadness, discontent. And these two wolves do constant battle every day. Do you understand? And the grandson said, yes, I understand, but, but how do I make sure the right wolf wins? And the old Indian chief said, well, the one that wins will be the one you feed. The one that wins will be the one you feed. So as you think about your life for the past week, what have you been feeding? Which wolf have you been feeding by the way that you are choosing to live your life? Jesus tells this story, this parable in Matthew 25 of three servants And there's this master, and he entrusts each of the servants an amount of money, and he goes on a business trip. And the first two servants, they take the money and they invest it. And they actually make more money. 
And the master comes back and they present him with the money. And they're like, here, we went out, we invested it. We actually made more. Here you go. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servants. We're going to go celebrate. Good job. And then the third servant comes to the master. And the third servant did invest the money. He, instead, he just hid it in the ground. He brought it back. He's like, here you go. I didn't lose any of it. And if you've been in church, you know how this story goes and you're just used to this story. But you have to believe that the first uh, Jewish listeners of Jesus' story are expecting Jesus to say, the master's like, okay, well, that's fine. At least you didn't lose any money, like, right? You didn't invest it, but investment is a risk. And I, I get it. Like, you, at least you kept it safe for me. Thank you. Well, that's not what happens in the story. Jesus says the master is, is angry, disappointed with the servant. And the servant says, well, I was afraid. I was afraid, and so I just hid your money in the ground. Here's my question. Did all three servants experience some form of fear? I think they did. I don't know about you, but if I'm entrusted with a large sum of money by my boss, and I invest it, which is a risk, I'm going to be a little nervous. What happens if the investment doesn't pay off, and my boss comes back, and I'm like, well, funny story. It's a risk. It was an investment. There was a risk. The two servants took a risk. And Jesus, in this story, says they took a risk. And I don't think it was that the risk paid off. The master was proud of them because they used the money well. They took a risk. They stepped past their fear. But the third servant was afraid. And Jesus says the master is extremely disappointed with the third servant because he allowed his fear to control him so much that he did nothing with what was given him. And there's this beautiful, it's this beautiful story where Jesus is essentially saying to us, God has given you this gift. It's called time. He's given you other gifts, your talents, your abilities. And it would be a shame if you allow fear to keep you from using the time that God has given you and the talents and the abilities that you have on this little planet to make a difference for God. But you get to decide if fear is fed in your life to a point where you just hide what you have in the ground. So how is fear fed? I want to give you three ways. I'm sure there's a a lot more, but I want to give you three ways that I think we can either unintentionally or intentionally feed our fears and make them a very unhealthy thing in our lives. So firstly, fear is fed in our lives through what we consume. I'm sure that isn't shocking to all of us. We all know that what we consume affects how we think, how we act. What we watch on the news, the social media that we consume. And for those of us on social media, here's, I love technology and I, I like someday social media, but here's the, here's the problem. What, what we snack on on social media, social media sends us a buffet of. And here's what I mean by that. A couple months ago, um, I, I grew up loving Canon camera TV shows, like the old Canon camera. Anybody else like the old Canon camera? Like, um, I love watching people that's not me, like, in awkward situations. And um, so a couple months ago, on my social media feed, just randomly, this video popped up. Um, no one, none of my friends had posted it. It's just like one of those ads or whatever of this new Canon camera, like, online show. And so I, I was like, oh, that looks interesting. So I clicked on it. Watched it. It was funny. It was a couple minutes long, whatever. Guess what started showing up in my social media feed? A ton of Canon camera videos. And I was like, well, I could watch a couple more. So I clicked on a couple more. So guess what? Now, guess what fills my feed now? 
Canon camera TV show. So here, here's, here's what I'm talking about. When we snack on something on social media, it becomes a buffet. And that's the problem. When we click on fear-based articles, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mass murderer living in friendly neighborhood. Five ways to identify the mass murderer living in your neighborhood. Five foods that could kill you. One of them you're probably eating right now. Right? And we click on them. We're like, I need to be informed. I need to know. But the problem is we click on a couple of them and guess what starts showing up in our news feed? More fear-based articles. And suddenly we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know there were so many things to be afraid of. What we snack on, social media gives us a buffet. And fear begins to grow. Secondly, another way that we can feed fear by the voices that we allow in our life. Someone once said, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are the voices speaking in your life and what are they saying? Are they encouraging? Are they hope-filled? Are they joyful? Or are they negative? Are they condemning? Are they sarcastic? Are they fearful? What are the voices you're allowing in your life? Now, I know some of you are saying, uh, John, I don't have a choice on the five people that are in my life. Like my people I work with, my, my family, like I, I don't get to choose. And that may be true, but here's the upside of technology. You do get to choice, ch- choose some of the other choices in your life. Because we have things like podcasts. We can go online and watch sermons from thousands of different pastors. We can, we can choose the voices that we listen to. And so who are the voices in your life that you're listening to and what are they saying? Some of us that are readers, we get to choose what we read. That's another voice. What are the voices in your life saying? Are they feeding fear? Are they feeding faith and courage? I don't usually, uh, in fact, I rarely, if you listen to me, I very rarely ever say something negative about other Christians. I just think that the outside world beats us up enough. We don't need to, like, go after our own. But I will, I will say this. If you're listening to a, a Christian voice, and what they're sharing is completely fear-based with no hope, I think you need to tread very carefully. Because when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus was extremely truthful and he said some very hard things. But when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus was always very careful to mix hard things with hope. Like think about one of the most popular uh, phrases that we see in all the New Testament that Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. That doesn't sound great, right? That could cause a little fear. In this world, you will have trouble. But then what does Jesus say next? But take heart. I've overcome the world. And as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus telling his disciples some really tough things. Hey, I'm going to be crucified. Um, he says some really difficult things. You're going, to, you're going to be scattered. You're going to be persecuted. But over and over, what else does Jesus say? But don't be afraid. But don't be afraid. Your Heavenly Father is with you. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Your Heavenly Father is going to take care of you. There's this beautiful contrast of truth with hope. And so whenever we listen to a voice that is only fear-based with no hope, I think we have to tread very carefully. Third way that I think we can sometimes feed fear is just by our pace of life. We've talked about this in the past at Northbrook. I'm not going to spend a ton of time with our pace of life, but when we get so busy that we just go from one thing to the next, what happens when something fearful happens? We react. We don't have time to be reflective. We don't have time to allow wise voices in our life to speak truth. We, we just react. 
fear grows in us because we're going at such a fast pace that we don't have time to slow down, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth and hope and peace into our lives. We're so busy that when something bad happens or we read something bad, we just react with fear. So what would it look like this week to starve the fear-based things in your life? To feed hope and love and truth. Be informed, but don't allow fear to grow. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You get to choose the thoughts in your mind that grow and the thoughts you starve. Third and final thought for you on fear, let love drive. Let love drive. A a parenting influencer my wife follows called Fearless Mom puts it this way. When it comes to the road trip that is life, you don't want to stuff fear in the trunk and pretend it's not there, right? We can just be like, oh, no, I'm not afraid. Nope, never anxious. No, life is great, right? We can just deny our feelings, and that's not healthy. We don't want to just stuff fear in the trunk. But we also don't want to let fear drive. Fear doesn't get to drive the car. Fear gets to sit in the back seat quietly. And we know it's there as we go through life. But it doesn't get to give us directions, and it certainly doesn't get to drive. A beautiful example of this is in Jesus' life. The night before his execution, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew tells us that Jesus says to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The physician Luke, in his writings, would tell us that Jesus gets away and he, as he's praying, he's, he's bleeding. He's, he's sweating drops of blood, which is an actual condition caused by extreme anxiousness. Jesus is disturbed. He is fully God, but he's also fully human, and he is very aware of what he's about to go through over the next 24 hours. Jesus, as a Jew under Roman control, has seen crucifixions firsthand. He has watched Roman guards brutally whip and beat prisoners. Those images are burned into his mind, and so he is fully aware of what he is about to go through. And he is anxious, call it anxiety, call it fear, call it trouble, whatever word you want to use, he is disturbed. And yet he prays this beautiful prayer. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. Fear is there. But what motivates Jesus through the next 24 hours was not fear. It wasn't fear that took him to the cross. It wasn't this, it wasn't being afraid like, oh my goodness, if I don't die, everyone's going to go to hell. And oh my gosh, I could never live with myself. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, if I don't do this, I'm going to let my heavenly father down. I'm so afraid of letting him down. I guess I'm going to have to do this. That wasn't what drove Jesus to the cross. What drove Jesus to the cross was love. What helped Jesus step into the pain and torture and humiliation of the crucifixion was love. Fear was there, but love drove Jesus' actions. Fear was present, 
but love was the deciding factor that pushed Jesus forward. So what would it look like this week to let love drive? Parents, so easy to parent out of fear in 2022. But I think a better approach is to let love drive your parenting. I'm not talking about just like anything goes. There's still rules. There's, there's, all of that still applies. But instead of living your life out of fear as you parent, parent with love. Business leaders, as you, as you lead in your, your, your jobs, as you lead out in the business world, easy to let fear, the right inflation, everything that's going on over the past couple of years, it's easy to lead with fear. But what would it look like this week to let love drive? As we go through our lives, we get to choose. And when it comes to the mind game that is fear, we can acknowledge that fear is real. It's a part of the human experience, but we don't have to feed it. And we get to let love drive. So as we close the challenge this week, I don't, I don't know where you're at, but the challenge this week is to think through the mind game that is fear, and identify just one area that you can grow in this week. Maybe for some of us, it's just as simple as watching less news, clicking on less social media articles. Maybe for others of us, it's, it's an opportunity to embrace the fear, the, the nerves that we're feeling over certain things that we have to do. And maybe for others of us, there's an opportunity to step into something that God is inviting us to and let love drive this week. You bow your heads with me as we close. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you for the love that took Jesus to the cross for us. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom. In a day and an age where there's so many different competing voices that are telling us to be afraid, may we listen to your voice of truth speaking to us, giving us hope, love, Joy, may we, may we not live lives driven by fear. But may your love drive us each day as we step out into your world and love the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John.